Hallelujah. Had a good time last week and pray that we'll have a good time this week. Uh, finishing up chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, if you want to go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And you know what? I am so glad your pastor is going to be back next week. Not that I don't like speaking here, but I read the first verse in chapter 5, and it says it's reported there's sexual immorality among you, and so I'm glad he's preaching that one. <laughs> Amen. What a verse to come back on. Amen. So if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, by the way, anybody here, is anybody here ride motorcycle? Oh, cool, you know, I was looking up here, you guys got the right signs up here, Yamaha, that's, that's what I ride, amen. You do know the difference between a uh, Harley Davidson motorcycle and a vacuum sweeper, don't you? The vacuum sweeper has the dirt bag on the bottom. Any of you guys raise your hand, I may need protection going out of here today, all right. But you don't have to worry, there will be no Harleys in heaven. Nope, nothing in heaven breaks down. I better go on and preach, amen? If you are at 1 Corinthians 4, would you stand with me as we go to the 14th verse? And Paul writes, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you may have... 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some of you are puffed up as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you shortly. If the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, and a spirit of gentleness? Heavenly Father, this morning I thank you, I pray, and thank you for your anointing. An anointing that... uh, Not an anointing that just makes me look good as a preacher, Lord, but an anointing that touches the heart of your people and drives your word deep into our minds and into our hearts. So as we study your word this morning, Lord, I pray that it will be your spirit that speaks to each and every one as they have need in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last time we were together, last week, we did the first part of chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians, and let me give you a a quick review. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he talked about his stewardship of the mystery of the gospel. He talked about not judging others. He talked about spiritual arrogance. He talked about the nature of a true apostle, and in our former verses, Paul has made an argument by contrast to his position. And in these next few verses that we'll study today, the argument's over. I like to put it this way. Now Paul's done trying to convince them that he's an apostle, that he's a steward, that he's a servant, and he takes the gloves off. 
and he gets down to the nitty-gritty. And so he begins to speak of himself as a paternal father. In verses 14 through 15, if you leave your Bibles open, you can follow along there. See, Paul changes that metaphor from that of a weak servant to that of a father that rules over his children. And he has spoken to them of his authority of apostleship and of his stewardship and now as a father. And I hope you remember some of the things that Paul has written and some of the things, uh, if you read ahead of time, that he's going to write. But, you know, just to ask a question, I mean, could you see a pastor in this day and age talking to the church like Paul wrote to the Corinthians? Because I can sum it up like this. Paul writes to him, and especially in this section, and says, if you guys don't straighten up, I'm going to get the rod out. And most churches would respond with, who are you? But the key here is all that Paul was doing, he was doing in Christ Jesus. Whether he was showing love or whether he was using the rod, it's being done for the good of the church. So if you look at verse 14, I'm going to do a little bit different today. I'll read them. It says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as as beloved children, I warn you. See, Paul lets them know that he didn't write to shame them, even though they ought to be ashamed. And actually, later on in the same letter to Corinthians, he actually makes a statement, I write this to shame you. So shame on you. They should have been shamed, but he said, that's not why I'm writing you. He he lets them know his purpose of writing them is to warn them. You know, you'll forgive me, but, and again, when I speak, I want you to know, uh, I look at a whole church. I I have a, um, I'm not a prophet, but I have a motivational gift to prophet. And so I look at the whole church. So when I say things, I'm not specifically saying it to you. I'm looking at the whole church, especially in the United States, all right? And, And it's amazing to me. Churches today don't like warnings. You know, people want to be slapped on the back and stroked on the neck, but don't give warning. And so when you preach warning, this type of preaching is often criticized by those who are shamed and those who are convicted by it. And by those who feel sorry for the person who's shamed and convicted by it. So what we've done in the United States especially is we've taken the shame out of everything. And we've thrown it underneath the guise of love and says, oh, you just got to love people. But Paul, he's old-fashioned. He writes them and says, I warn you. The complaint is made, and you've probably heard it, you know, if if, um, uh, you preach a message and, well, I don't like that message, that's... That's condemning. And they're more worried about how they feel than the warning of the danger of their salvation. The warning that the message is meant to bring. (laughs) 
I'll tell you a little story. Seems it was, it was years and years and years and years and years and years and years ago. I had a guy call me one time and he said, Pastor, he said, that message you preached Sunday was the last straw. I won't be back. And I said, really, what's wrong? He said, you know what? He said, uh, I know I'm a sinner, but you don't have to make me feel guilty about it. That's true. And I said, you know what? That's one of the first honest guys I've met. <laughs> At least he was honest. Anyways, the word warning, by the way, and, and I am reading, reading from the New King James, uh, the word warning has a connotation of admonished or an attempt to influence. See, as a father would his children... You know, um, I don't know how you grew up, but I knew how I grew. I know how I grew up, and I know how I raised my children. You know, if they had a spanking or or if it was getting close, I'd warn them. If your actions don't change, this is going to happen. And it was not my wishes to spank them, and it was not. Paul's wishes to spank the Corinthian church, but only to get them to change for their own benefit. So Paul admonishes them as his children. He actually uses the term, my beloved children. And in those days, that term was used if someone had disciples following them, that term was used as to those those disciples, excuse me. See, Paul had brought these people to conversion. He had brought them to spiritual birth. And so, indeed, he was their spiritual father. And I I read that and I thought, you know what? This church, this church, this Corinthian church, they sound like a bunch of teenagers who think they know more than mom and dad do now. They're immature. They think they're mature. They think they got it all down, but they don't. Verse 15, he goes on and says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So Paul begins to argue from a parental view. In using this imagery, Paul tries to accomplish two things. Number one, to reestablish his unique and authoritative relationship to the Corinthian church. And number two, to get them to conform their behavior to their father's example, their spiritual father's example, which was Paul. See, he not only reminds them that he is their father in the gospel, but also that this relationship is unique because he gave them birth. He's the one that brought the message to them about Christ. He's the one that preached and they were born again. He makes this point or begins to make this point with hyperbolic language. He says, you may have thousands of teachers. Well, they didn't have thousands of teachers. Or you could have had a thousand guardians. But listen, you only got one father in Christ and that's me. Remember last week we talked about stewards and guardians. Well, Paul's making the point now. He said, I'm not just one of your guardians. And I'm not just a slave that has been entrusted the job of teaching you these things. I'm not just a teacher to you. 
in whom your father turned over to learn from, I am your father. I am the guy that gave you spiritual birth. See, the the, the metaphor here is to uh, uh, distinguish Paul's relationship to the Corinthian church beyond all others. He said, you only have one father. That's pretty bold, isn't it? You only have one father. What if a pastor stood in a pulpit and said, you only have one pastor. So quit listening. I don't care if you've got a thousand teachers or guardians. You've got one pastor. Now bring that out because I really want this church to know your pastor has a relationship to you spiritually that nobody else is allowed to have no one else has it but your pastor I don't have it because I'm standing in this pulpit he has a God-given position oh thank you for those amen I'm gonna try for five amens he has a God-given position All right, good. He watches over you. He's been entrusted by Jesus Christ himself to lead this flock and get them into the kingdom of God and eventually into the kingdom of heaven. It's important for the church to see that unique relationship that God has made between a pastor and his church. It's important that we see that Paul's metaphor brings out both the love of a father and the authority of a father over his household. Hello. And then he goes to verse 16 and he says this, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Wow, that's strong. I'm your father, imitate me. The picture here is a father who has instructed his children not with just words, but in demonstration. He's instructed them through his own example. It was common in those days, I think most of you know, and it it was really expected that the son would follow in his father's footsteps. We call Jesus a carpenter. We don't have any records of him being a carpenter. But we call him a carpenter because his father was a carpenter. So it's just natural that he would follow in his father's footsteps. And and here's Paul. He's saying, imitate me. Follow me. We are, you know, I don't know where, we seem to be quick to tell uh, someone else how to be an example. Oh, here's what you ought to do if you want people to follow you. (laughs) Amen. But what if we ask this question, you know, and uh, uh, what if we ask ourselves, what would happen to the person that followed me? What would happen to the person who imitates me? Well, I mean, if we really ask it honestly. No doubt that Paul's referencing his former remarks, contrasting his attitude with his audience's attitude. The church at Corinth had a bad attitude. We might use the word spiritual ethics. 
Have you ever, you don't have to answer this, but have you ever questioned your own spiritual ethics? Like last week, we talked about what, you know, when it comes to judging, what are my spiritual ethics here? And when it comes to my motives, why am I doing what I am doing? What are, what are my spiritual ethics? See, Paul wanted to do more than just change the thinking of the believer. He wanted to change their action. Through correct theology, he wanted to change their behavior. Imitate me. Look at me. Do you see me judging others? Remember last week? We talked about it. Am I placing myself above others? Imitate me. That's a strong language. That's, that comes from somebody that better know who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Imitate me. Daddies, what if your sons imitate you? Are they going to be Christ servers? Hello? I better leave that alone, eh? All right. Verse 17. Go on. For this reason I've sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul says to them, I'm I'm sending Timothy because I'm concerned about your behavior. And... um, Timothy's also a son of mine in the gospel, and, and he knows what I teach, and he knows how I act, and he knows what you're supposed to be doing. He knows my life, and, and he'll, he'll teach you what I teach every church everywhere. I don't teach you one thing. Go somewhere else and teach something else to somebody else. Timothy will teach you how to imitate me. Now, it's probably, you know, it, it might be noted, rather, that um, Timothy was probably already known by the church at Corinth because he'd already been there with Paul on previous visits. So why then, if that's true, why, why would Paul take this little time to, de- to describe or give a description of Timothy to the Corinthians? It was because... Timothy was coming in a way that Paul himself was coming. It was as if Paul himself was coming. Now there's something we miss in the church today. That when somebody comes in the authority of somebody else, it is as if that person themselves were there. Telling you, when somebody comes in the name of Jesus Christ, it is as if Jesus Christ himself is coming and giving you the word of God. If they're preaching the word of God. See, he was coming in Paul's authority, and therefore, he's coming in the authority of an apostle of Jesus Christ. See, I can preach boldly before you because your pastor told me, bring the message. So I'm as if your pastor is standing here in this pulpit today 
because I have his authority. Are you following me? Uh, This kind of reminded me when Paul said that, how, you know, as um, my dad or or as a father, that uh, sometimes dad would send, I come from a family of six kids, dad would send out my brother or sister and say, finish mowing that lawn or I'm coming out there. It's kind of what Paul's saying, you know? I'm sending Timothy in hopes that you're smart enough to get the lawn done before I get there. Oh, yeah, come on. Wow. We often in the church fail to see and honor delegated authority. Well, who are they to tell us what? You know what? Paul warns. We're going to read it in a minute. He said, you're going to find out who they are and what authority they really have. See, when one comes in the name of Christ, called by Christ, it's as if Christ himself has come. Now, Timothy's singular task was to remind remind them of Paul's teaching and Paul's way of life. Wasn't to go preach his own stuff. Aren't that who we are as ministers? We're not supposed to be out there preaching our own stuff. We're supposed to preach the word of God. Not just the verses we like, but the whole counsel of God. See, another place Paul told him, follow me as I follow Christ. To follow Paul was to follow Christ. You could say that about your pastor. To follow your pastor is to follow Christ. And then he goes on in verse 18. Now he's getting down, if you would allow me to say, down and dirty. Now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Hmm. Here's where dad says, I'm coming out there. And the lawn better be done. See? Here comes that. If you don't behave, some of you are puffed up and arrogant and you think I'm full of hot air. Remember last week we talked about the arrogance, the puffed up. We invented a new word, puffed upness. Sometimes I think the church today is guilty of Corinthianism. Mm -hmm. We reject the idea that someone would have authority and power over us. Oh my gosh. I'm American. I'm free. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. God forbid that we should even think that God would send a man to discipline us. Y'all getting quiet on me and I'm yelling. (laughs) Now, admittedly, it was probably a small group who were causing the discord in the Corinthian church. It it wasn't the whole church, but um, after addressing the whole church, it seems like 
Okay, now Paul zeroes in on this group of anti-Paulites and um, the instigators of this whole thing and, and, dire- and directly warns them of his coming. He, he kind of singles out, in my opinion, he, he kind of singles out the ringleaders. You know, it's kind of like uh, you find the bad people in the church or, or the instigators in the church because we're all bad, right? <laughs> you find the instigators, the ringleaders in the church, and you kill them and tell God they died. No, no, no. Strike that. Take that off the tape. You know. But it brings me to a question, okay, church? It brings me to the question, why do we tolerate these type of people in the church? Well, one reason is, where's that full of sloppy agape? I just want to love. Jesus loved everybody. It was the same Jesus said, if you don't keep my words, you'll go to hell. All that saith the Lord, Lord, shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, but them that doeth the will of my Father. That came from Jesus, not from me. So somehow we want to make him all sloppy and agape. I think, too, it comes from spiritual immaturity or theological deception. Or perhaps it comes because we're afraid we're the might be the next person to get disciplined. I, I don't want to man, I, I don't want to be on the team that disciplines Brendan because I might be next. And he might be back in the graces of God and on the committee that disciplines me. Oh, let's just love him. Well, hello out there. I'm losing my stand. Slowly it goes. When it hits the bottom, I'm done, right? <laughs> we don't like discipline in the church. So we tolerate it. Or, excuse me, we tolerate the wrong so we don't have to discipline. There's way, way too much acceptance of unchristian behaviors in the church today. I'm not talking about that old-fashioned stuff, you're going to hell if you don't wear a tie. (laughs) You know. And you can't go roller skating. I'm talking about Bible stuff. I'm talking things that the Bible are clear on. Verse 19, I better move on here. It says, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Oh, man. I used to pray that God, give give me the authority and the power of an apostle. And then I think, I think God answered me one day and said, I can't, you'd kill everybody. (laughs) But it's obvious or seems obvious that the ringleaders thought Paul was all mouth. Hmm. And they did not, they, they obviously did not understand his spiritual authority. 
And I think that that is true in the church today. That the church does not understand, the church at large does not understand spiritual authority. And sometimes we are blind, listen to me church, sometimes we are blind to God's dealings with those who are dividers or instigators or gossipers. You know, and we, again, we, we don't read our Bibles. We don't see the God who is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. We, we throw him in a sloppy, goppy mode and look at him and say, Oh, God wouldn't do that. For instance, somebody's saying, Now, uh, your, your pastor will correct this when he gets back, but Somebody will be saying something like, um, I don't know, man, I think think everything's going wrong because God's trying to show me something. You know what most Christians would do right there? Oh, no, God wouldn't do that. Who are you, Bubba? Who are you? You know what? We ought to just... If we ask anything, we ought to say, why do you think that? You know, not us. We want to get in there, and I think we want to tell them God wouldn't do that because we want to think he wouldn't do it to me. Man, if I believe God straightened you out with a whip, (laughs) he may whip me. See, we have a, a tendency to reject this kind of message of warning and discipline because we've made God a pussycat in the sky. But guess what? Here comes Paul, and he said, Okay, I'm not preaching any pussycat religion. You're going to find out what kind of authority and power I got when I get there. Why is it that we, we don't think God is ever going to do anything based on how we treat delegated authority? That's not hardly even talked about in the church. How do you treat men and women of God? Went through it a little bit last week. How do you treat each other? Some, somehow we've got it into our mind that there will never be any repercussions. We can gossip all we want to at Texas Roadhouse. And if we don't go to Texas Roadhouse, we invite somebody over and eat the pastor for lunch. Now, I know you don't do that. I told you, I'm I'm talking about those other people. Yeah, verse 20. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. So let me paraphrase here. Paul's saying, I'm not coming to listen to your mouth. I'm coming to check out your power. Because the kingdom of God is not your mouth. It's in the power. And both words for power here are from the Greek word dunamis, which means supernatural power. The kingdom of God is supernatural natural power. Paul says, I'm sending Timothy in hopes of getting this thing settled because when I come, you're going to put up or shut up. 
Whoa, wait a minute. I'll be glad when Pastor Ben gets back. It doesn't matter. It's the same Bible. Amen. I mean, that is hard preaching, isn't it? You're going to put up or shut up. These people had contempt for Paul of the way he preached. Remember last week? He wasn't as eloquent as they were. And Paul makes it plain. When I get there, we ain't going to worry about the words. We're going to worry about who you are in Christ Jesus and what we're going to do about it. See, he said the, the, in the Greek, he's saying the kingdom of God is not a matter of logos. It's a matter of dunamis. The kingdom of God is not word, it's power. Much of today's preaching is preaching of words and the wisdom of man and the power's gone. Come on. You might as well amen me. I'm not going home till I'm done. <laughs> amen. The kingdom is power. The kingdom is dunamis. Not just, by the way, not just to heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons. It is the power to live like Paul. It's a power that Paul describes of walking in the church, walking in Christ, walking in the Spirit, through and during the persecutions of this life, and doing it in unity with the church. Hmm. See what they, like a lot of modern teachers of our day, these guys were proclaiming, oh, Paul's all wet. That's not true. What they spoke was earthly wisdom and earthly strength and not the power of God or the power that God gives to the true believer. Wrap it up. Verse 21, what do you want? Shall they come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? What a way to close a chapter. Of course, there wasn't a chapter when Paul wrote it. but He says to this church, rod or love, your choice. Can't have both. Straighten up or get knocked down. Come on. I See, I don't know how you were raised. And my dad, my father is the type of father that if he lived today, they'd probably put him in jail. Because, and this kind of reminded me of my father when he would say in my childhood days, what do you want to do? You want to do it or you want the belt? Never. That guy never asked twice. So Paul goes back to this father metaphor. He said, What do you want? You want the rod or you want the gentleness? Because I can come both ways. And you know what else remind me of my father? When my father said it, I knew he had the power to deliver. 
<laughs> and so Paul assures this church, I'm, I'm going to come. And I'm going to come either in love or I'm going to come swinging the sword. Shall I come with a rod? Should I come as a father who is administering discipline? Or are you going to allow this letter and are you going to allow Timothy to present what you need to get your house in order and correct your bad behavior? Yeah, a lot of people don't like that type of preaching and Paul wouldn't go over real big in a lot of our churches today, but I, I wouldn't ever want to stay in a church that does not administer discipline. Now, you may not understand that, but I'm, this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I, do not, I want people to love me, but I am not interested in you loving me to hell. I really want to go to heaven. And I need a body of Christ who will help me get there. Because I'm bad. Don't you laugh at me? So are you. We need each other. We need that love. And we need that correction. See, the one thing we must see is that either way... He will come. Somehow, in the modern church, we've acquainted the love of God with no discipline. We've got a God who doesn't discipline anymore. Well, this is the New Testament, brother. It's the New Testament that says he's the same yesterday, today, and, and forever. To have a God with no discipline is to have a God that doesn't care. Amen. Because discipline is the act of a loving father. God said in Hebrews, I discipline, I chastise those in whom I love. And King James language and if you're not chastised, let me put it this way, you're fatherless. You're fatherless. So Paul's singular motive is to return this church, his spiritual children, back to the gospel and away from worldly religion. So Paul writes Timothy, and if you know the letter to Timothy, he writes Timothy, and he says, Timothy, listen to this, church, this is so important. He writes Timothy, says, in the last days, they will stray from the truth and preach doctrines of devils in the last days. Do you believe we're in the last days? See, there's a little eschatology in here. I mean, that's what makes this letter to the Corinthians so important to us. We have got 
so many people out there coming up with new revelation. Oh, look what I discovered in the Bible. Nobody ever knew it before, and I got it. Now I'm starting a church based on it. Sometimes we get so interested in new revelation, we forget to follow the old that the apostles and prophets laid down. So let me close with a comparison of Paul and the Corinthian church and Christ and the present church. A little hard, so lift up your toes. Paul said, if you don't straighten up, you're going to find out what kind of power I have. Because I can come in love or I can come in power. And so if you continue ignoring my teachings, I'm coming in power. Isn't that exactly what Jesus Christ told the modern church? See, one day he's going to come back. And just like Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, it's your choice. You can choose that I will come back in love and gentleness. Or you can choose that I come back with a rod. And even Christians, oh, you may not like this, but it's true. Even, quote, Christians, unquote, spend their awful lot of their time ignoring the words and the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll say for him this morning, it's your choice. Because Jesus is going to come back. Oh, he's not. I've been hearing that for years. Remember what Paul said to Corinthians? I'm coming. And when I do, you will either go with me in love or suffer the rod. So I only have one question this morning for you. How do you want him to come? How do you want him to come? How do you want Jesus to come to you? You want to come to me? Simple question. Hard though. Wow. You want him to come in love? I'm going to say something real hard, but I want you to listen, then I'll close. I, I promise. Or you want him to come with a rod? I know, I know the answer. Every one of you are saying, well, Pastor, I want him to come in love. But don't forget Paul's message. He's not coming because your mouth confesses it. Lord, I want you to come in love. He comes 
in love when our actions line up with his word, his will, and his desires. Jesus said, I'm coming back. And then we will see. Because I will separate the sheep from the goats. You want me to come in love? Or do you want me to come with a rod? That is an invitation this morning, I believe, for every one of us just to rededicate our lives to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I want to live in such a way that when you come for me, it'll be with love and the power of salvation and not with a rod and the power of judgment. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you that you have kept this message and this letter to the church to Corinth all of these years just to speak to us at Gateway on March 23rd in the morning. And to say, I want you to be ready, church. I want you living in such a way that you are imitating me. So that when I break those eastern skies, you will experience my love and not my wrath. Father, prepare every heart in this place should you come this afternoon or tomorrow or 20 years from now. While heads are bowed, I'm going to ask you to do something before I ask Pastor to come. Just right there, where you're at, nobody can hear you but God. If you got something in your life, confess it right now. Confess it to God and say, Lord, get this thing out of me. Take this anger out of me. Take this lust away from me. Take this whatever it might be. God, I want to give it to you right now. Lord, I want to give it to you. I want you to touch me in such a way that there will be nothing left in my life but your love, your grace. Lord, I want to be like you. I find it very, very hard, Lord, to be like you, to follow you. But I know that the power, there is power in the presence and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in my life that it is possible for me to live and imitate you. Jesus, I want to be a Jesus imitator. I want people to see me and see you through me. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Pastor.